Welcome back to episode four of the True Folk Podcast. My name is Matt, and this week we have for you a conversation with local studio owner, musician, and collage artist, Michael Mitchell. This conversation weaves its way through a number of different topics, ranging from his visual art, his studio work, to DIY culture as isolating versus empowering, and even the threat of urban renewal squashing the emerging creative scene in the Johnson City area. We also discussed some interesting prospects that might be announced later, but I won't give anything away right now. For the moment, here is my conversation with Michael Mitcha of Abandoned Studios in Johnson City, New York. Um, I'm a, a surreal collage artist. I, I'm a musician. I play drums and guitar mainly, some piano and synthesizer as well. And I also run a recording studio in Johnson City, about four blocks from where I grew up. And I'm also a full-time broadcast engineer at WSKG. What's the studio called? Where are we sitting right now? Oh, uh, we are in Abandoned Studios. And tell me a little bit about Abandoned Studios. Like, when did you when did you start it? This space kind of fell into my lap about. I want to say almost three years ago, I had a space a few blocks over at the Goodwill Theater, which is where a lot of local bands have the like practice spaces and some local artists. Joby Springsteen and I rented a space over there to just start practicing and playing together because we wanted to start a project together. While we were over there, I just started to kind of um, pick up equipment here and there as I saw it on Craigslist or eBay. Uh, I wasn't spending you know money heavily on equipment at that point. And then uh, I started volunteering for Spool MFG, which is the art gallery downstairs. And we started doing some shows here and it turned out that they had a space that they knew that I was looking for a new space to start a studio. And they mentioned they had a space on the second floor. So they came up here and showed me and I was blown away. I couldn't believe that they were suggesting this. I thought it was going to be something a lot smaller and it's huge. Yeah. There's so much room here. So I immediately was, I wanted to try and make that happen. They were extremely gracious and generous with how much they're charging me for rent here. They're not bleeding me dry, which is amazing. You, you absolutely could with a space this big. And uh, for that, I'm extremely grateful. And so, yep, uh, about three years ago, we got into the space, Joby and I. And at that point, I started to actually seek out specific gear and spend money more specifically on things and so we've been going for about yeah three years i was very surprised when i walked in how big it is yeah it's a big space it is That's the live really room cool. is huge mm -hmm. and i can't believe i can't believe how good it sounds also like it's uh, wood floors and then the walls are concrete and then the ceiling is they're very very high ceilings and then the ceiling has a lot of insulation so that deadens the sound pretty well and there's nice reverb from the wood floors drums just light up in this room it's amazing so yeah i was blown away i was like this is the space you want me to use i can't believe it okay yeah i'm extremely grateful trying to do as much as i can in this space because i'm just i can't believe i'm here now something we talk a lot about in true folk tv podcast or just interviews in general is mm -hmm. availability and accessibility of recording tools because you're both a musician yes and a recording engineer and the the cost barrier of just gear uh -huh. over the last like 10 years has it's so much more accessible than it would have been like in 2008 so absolutely what are your thoughts on accessibility on gear i think it's great i started recording because gear was affordable to me and there was so much of it that I, I actually had a choice of you know the kind of gear that i wanted even when i didn't have a lot of money or wasn't spending a lot of money on gear i had a lot of choices i think that it's really easy for people to go out and purchase recording gear and then start doing recordings i think it, people have to be a little bit careful with how they present themselves if a lot of the times when I tell someone I have a recording studio, I get the feeling like they look at me like I'm doing recordings out of my bedroom um, because it, you can do that now. You can buy gear, put it in your bedroom, then you have a recording studio technically. So I guess there's like a, a kind of a, 
you need to be careful about how you're defining yourself, I guess. Be upfront with people if you have someone to come in and do a recording and you are still doing a recording out of a basement or, you know, a very consumer style recordings. You should be upfront with them and let them know that, you know, this isn't this is I'm still starting out. That's pretty much what I did with a lot of the bands that came into my studio, the, even this space for the first year. I let them know that I was still learning. So it's going to be a learning process for me. And they were very you know comfortable with that. You know, I was make sure to charge them a price that was fair. You know, that wasn't over the top or anything like that. So, yeah, I think it's great that recording gear is available to pretty much anyone. Because mm -hmm. something some folks might, especially studio owners, might lament about accessibility of gear is like, oh, people can are just making like bedroom records now and nobody has any use for a studio. Is that something that's you found? Yeah, I've especially, you know, as you get into the DIY community, there's a lot of people that are really into the idea of doing all of their own recordings. And I think that's great. There's some, some of the bands that I absolutely love do all of their own recordings and you can hear them, their recordings get better or, or get more stylized uh, as the, as their records progress. One of the bands that I absolutely love is Deerhoof. They have a very, very DIY ethos. They book all of their own shows. Each there's four members and each member has a specific role. One person does PR, one person big uh, book shows and hotel rooms. The other person is in charge of I think it's recording and then the other person is in charge of something else so they all have a role besides playing in a band and I think that's great I think it's it, yeah it's it's tough because it if a band is serious enough to want to record themselves and dive deep into recording I think that's great if your thing is just recording something not caring what it sounds like that is another thing yeah, I haven't. I think the people that want that sound of just like they don't care necessarily if it's recorded well, they, that's kind of like part of their aesthetic. I think those people will always do that, regardless of if there's gear easy or hard to find, you know. So, yeah, no, I, I don't I don't think it's this is I can see it cutting into studios that might charge, you know, a lot more like obviously a lot of the bands that come to this space aren't going to go to a studio that are they, they have to spend like thousands of dollars. So it it, it hasn't gotten to the point of affecting me yet. Mm -hmm. It's a buyer's market now for yes. bands. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, music just by nature has always kind of towed the line between a commercial space and an artistic space. So yeah. how, how do you personally like view music as like an artistic expression as a commercial product, a little bit of both? What are your, your thoughts? I think it's amorphous. I think it can be both. I think it can be both and then anywhere in between. It's really, yeah, it's really fluid. I think there are bands that are, there are definitely absolutely bands that are specifically writing music to be commercial, to sell a product. They're selling, you know, an aesthetic with that product. And even bands that don't write like pop music necessarily or like commercially viable music still have an aesthetic also that they're trying to convey with their music, like with their style. So in a way, they have a, a packaged product. And then there are also there's bands on the complete other end of the spectrum that don't want to be seen as that way. They want to be seen as completely to have full artistic integrity and in that they're not promoting themselves or at least they're not spending money to pr promote themselves or they're not worried about their image and things like that. And I think that's cool as well. I had a lot of bands that influenced me early on didn't, you know, were underground bands and didn't give a shit about what they looked like. But I think when you're doing either of those things for the sake of just doing them, I don't think that's sincere. Like if you're trying to say, I don't have an image and that's like coming out and like you're just, I don't know, that's hard to describe. I think it's great that someone can start off doing something they love and then eventually make money off that. They can do the thing they love full time. They can spend all of their time doing this thing. As long as they don't get to a place where they are doing it just for the sake of making money, then 
I think that artistic integrity will always be there. And, you know, tons of bands, I think, have been able to do that. I, One of the musicians that I listened to when I was in high school that still I listen to this day is Neil Young. I absolutely love Neil Young. And I think he's had an incredibly respectable career and, and I haven't loved all of his albums, but he, I don't think at any point he was influenced by the amount of money that he had. Yeah. And something that like, it's always been like a traditional struggle finding, yeah. I don't know, especially in creative fields is finding that balance between artistic integrity and commercial viability because like everyone's got to eat. Right. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Personally, I've never tried to make money from the things that I, the artistic things that I love doing. I've always wanted to be, to be able to have it both ways. I want to be able to have the full-time job that I don't, that doesn't suck the soul out of me. Have a full-time job that allows me to have a car, you know, be reliable, to have a place to live, you know, to be able to do some of the more basic life things and then have enough time aside from that full-time job to do the things that I love musically or artistically. So far, that's been working out well. It's actually been getting better too. So I'm going to keep going down this path and hopefully it, it leads somewhere good. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, especially these days, if art and commerce are still like innately at odds with each other, because that whole, that archetype of like the sellout artist was yeah. kind of formed during a time when media distribution was so limited. There were like three or four avenues or channels that you like tv radio there was almost no fluidity in in distribution so in order right. to have some sort of commercial viability you had to conform to a specific archetype just because the channels were so limited but now especially because recording tools are so immediately available and we have the internet and we have so much more connectivity and so much more so many more subgroups and subcultures it's almost more advantageous to do exactly what you want because there's so many people just throwing their their influence into the air so it makes me wonder if that's even something that people should worry about anymore is commercial viability versus artistic integrity that's interesting yeah i mean it's so easy to reach like-minded people close or far away you know with the way that that we're connected nowadays and so yeah it's not you don't even have to really like necessarily spend money even spend a lot of money or money at all to promote your you know your visual art your oral art whatever so yeah it's actually i mean I don't have to buy radio time to get people to hear about my studio. Yeah. I can advertise on Facebook, on Instagram. on. It's not definitely not as much of a worry about a sellout band. I mean, there's, there's, I still feel like there's a lot of that going on because that industry still exists for sure. And even though it's taken a huge hit, there's still a lot of money in it. So there's, there's still going to be that. But it's, yeah, there are a lot more niche groups, a lot more subcultures. You can get really specifically into this super, super specific like sub genre of music and find other people that are into it. It's really cool. That's actually a very cool thing. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit about this earlier, but just DIY culture in general, because like we were saying, the these tools are so accessible. So DIY culture, especially in the last, you know, 20 to 30 years and then exponentially more so in the past 10 years. Mm hmm has been able to have so much more reach and impact. So we were going to unpack DIY culture a little bit because in one way, like a band can set up a recording studio in their bedroom mm -hmm. and then take a record from start to finish, not only recording, but distribution. And then they can find ways to, you know, get their album art. They can use their iPhone to track their music videos. They, they can do yeah. it all with almost no money spent. So on one hand, it's extremely empowering. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, 
people complain about isolated bedroom artists and how like there's a lack of cohesion in scenes nowadays nowadays and i you wonder like cause and effect like what caused the other so and what do you you think about like the two sides of the spectrum of diy culture well personally i've always been on the or or at least more on the side of supporting diy culture just because that was the way i kind of grew into most things that i'm into like i got really into music because of my friends and then i got really into playing guitar because of my friends then i got really into recording just because i listened was listening to more music and then i i you know it kind of just snowballed in my own life eventually going to school to learn how to do something i think that kind of that is a bit contradictory to diy culture i mean if you just think of the basics like you if i wanted to i could have gone online at that point probably and learned most of the well learned the basic ideas i I wouldn't have been able to do to get the the hands-on experience you know with with the actual gear because obviously the gear was at oniana was extremely expensive um so i never would have been able to have that but yeah diy culture always i've always had the mentality of uh, there's, there's something happening in the local area that uh, isn't or there's something not happening in the local area that I w- wish was happening. Then I'm just going to do it myself. Y- you know, like we were talking earlier about making your own XLR cables and things like like I, I do enjoy maintaining all my gear, too. I like tinkering with equipment and things like that. But like I also said, I didn't want to have to take my big mixer apart and ha- and clean every single part of it. So I had no problem paying a friend of mine to do that. Mm-hmm. Someone else who is also into DIY culture who learned how to clean mixers and everything like that because he taught himself. Yeah. So it's I think it's weird. I, I'm definitely on the end of supporting DIY culture, but not I'm not like a purist, mm-hmm. you know. I think that if at some point I have um Joby and I write some songs that we are extremely proud of that we, you know, we for some reason we just absolutely love them. I would have no problem at all going to a studio that uh, for a friend of mine in Oneana and paying him a good amount of money to properly record it and mix it. So, and I again still considering myself to be more on the end of DIY, but I can see how being DIY, like having that strict DIY mentality could seclude people, could make people, you know, it, it could stop people from supporting their friends or supporting people that do good work. You know, if I, I have a friend that cuts hair, if I was a, a, a DIY purist, then I would be like, no, nah, man, I'm just going to, just going to cut my own hair. Like, I know you do, you do a great job <laughs> and everything, but I'm good. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't want someone who maybe is just starting off recording to look at my studio and say, no, no, I'm just going to do my own recordings, even though you're not charging that much. Like, I just want to do it on my own. That's cool. But if you have a product that you absolutely love, that you're, that you put a lot of time into, wouldn't you want someone who has devoted just as much time into recording to do those recordings for you kind of a thing? So I think it's important to be somewhere in between. Like, I don't think it's good to be a DIY purist or whatever the other end of the spectrum would be. Yeah. I don't know. What, what a, like anti-DIY. Anti-DIY. Do nothing yourself. Yeah, yeah do nothing yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I saw in an article I was reading the other day that DIY doesn't mean do it alone. Hmm. So it's... Yeah, absolutely. Having that balance—I mean, I guess balance in anything is is, is, is healthy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I think it's—it probably wouldn't be a good thing to literally do everything yourself. Um, I don't even think a human could do that. It would just be absurd. So yeah, but uh, I, I'm definitely more closer to supporting DIY because I think 
for me, it, it helped me figure out the things that I'm actually very into. Like mm-hmm. when I started to get really into um, collage art, it was because my wife brought my wife and I went to a art show in Oneana and saw a local artist who kind of travels the, the country. His name's Kit Clark. He's an incredible collage artist. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And so I, he's a big DIYer as well. And so I kind of just started to follow him a little bit and follow the culture. And then I found this subculture of collage artists that apparently a lot of them are kind of nomadic. They travel around the country Mm -hmm. a lot. And so I kind of fell into doing collage art. So kind of the same thing happened with music. Like I, and, and tinkering with gear, like I decided to, to buy some gear and then I decided to buy some gear that wasn't working and see if I could fix it. And so doing that, I found out that I actually enjoy working with, you know, electronics and things like that. But again, I'm still not going like not to an extent where I want to start that as a business, Mm -hmm. you know, so I have no problem bringing a piece of gear that I care a lot about to someone specifically to get fixed if I can't fix it, you know? So yeah, it's, it's fluidity, but somewhere more on the DIY. Yeah. It's like the motive influences the outcome because if you're into, like you're into something, you find something you're passionate about then, uh, and doing it DIY, that's that maybe that's the healthy part and maybe just doing it just because you don't want to pay someone else is the, is the other end of the spectrum. But tell me, tell me about your your collage work because i've seen your work and it, it looks digital it, it looks yeah. very cool oh thank you uh, i actually started trying to the first two or three collages that i did were in photoshop it was like just downloading images and and putting them together and it visually it was okay like i didn't have a problem with it but it didn't give me a it, i didn't enjoy doing it like i was just sitting in front of a computer and i enjoy sitting in front of a computer and, and editing music and stuff like that which is weird but i get an enjoyment out of I think it's also like the experience, like I experience. I like sitting in a room, cutting stuff and listening to music and like having some wine or a beer and it's kind of relaxing and I don't really have anything else going on. Like I'm not thinking any about anything else in my head. It's just kind of this clear Zen moment where I can just cut images. So yeah, I, the like the physicality of it is something that I really enjoy, which is interesting because we were talking about tape, like the idea of, yeah. like, of doing uh, tape editing is very that seems very tense to me yeah like i don't know maybe i would find an enjoyment in doing that as well but yeah so i actually i started doing collages because i got really into the collage artist i found in oniana and Alyssa, my wife started to tell me about some collage artists she was following on instagram and so i started following some of those and that kind of just led me to this you know this subculture and around that time i injured my back which kind of i was pretty much going from my bedroom to the bathroom and that's it. I was crawling on my hands and knees because I basically had a herniated disc in my lower Mm -hmm. back that was pinching a sciatic nerve that went down to my foot and it was apparently a massive herniation. It was awful. Uh, I can't even describe it. It was unbearable pain and so I couldn't play music. I couldn't do any recordings. You know, I was like just i was just stuck at home so at that time that's when i started like i bought a bunch of magazines and then just started cutting images out and putting stuff together starting off i was basically it was actually interesting starting off because i i looked at a bunch of collage artists that i enjoyed and then i ingested a bunch of it and kind of started to like pick elements that i enjoy from each one until i was kind of found the, my own thing that i enjoyed doing and so yeah now it's it's something that i just i absolutely love like i have a huge collection of national geographic magazines that every now whenever i look at new national geographic magazines my wife tells me that i have enough i'm like you're right i do i don't need to buy anymore you're right i have a huge collection i have my entire birth year 
1986. So I'm probably going to do something like a theme through that. I think you've you've stumbled upon something interesting. Like we were talking about, you know, art and commerce and mm-hmm. and finding the balance between, you know, maybe living off of your your discipline versus you know just doing it for the integrity of it but you found like a no risk artistic output where like you it's just it's a creative outlet that you you just do yeah and it's just and there's no there's no like consequences no no most of the like there's not a a whole lot of money you have to put into it old magazines are pretty cheap yeah so that's easy i also i'm not making any money from it i don't really if someone wants to buy a piece that's cool i haven't really tried to push selling them so as far as that goes, I just enjoy physically making them. Mm-hmm. And I actually feel I feel bad because I every time I make a collage, I make it and it gets put into a notebook. And then I honestly don't look at it again. Like unless I pull unless I've done one show and I would love to do another show. So if I do I'll, at that point, I'll pull it out again. But I never look at them. So they just sit in a notebook like there's a part of it's really weird. There's a part of me that wants to give it to just like give them to people that would enjoy them. And then there's another part of me that's like, okay, well, you some of these I've spent hours working on. There's a lot of like love that I put into it to see it actually go away would be difficult. Yeah, maybe prints or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Doing prints or something like that. I've I've done some prints of, of collages that I enjoyed and and some people buy them for like, you know, 15 bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. To, just enough to like cover the cost of actually getting imprinted yeah and so yeah i mean maybe prints i don't don't know i honestly don't even i don't know what i'm gonna do with them i just love making them it's really relaxing that's probably a like a healthy thing for anyone in any sort of like creative discipline to have like a side project where you can just do absolutely i mean it, it literally came to me because i had no other creative outlet yeah that's why i was like okay i can't not do something creative i have to get something out i have to have that that because it's, it's the same thing when i'm playing drums or if it doesn't necessarily happen a lot when i'm recording or mixing that's just something i enjoy the entire process of but if i'm playing drums i get into this this moment where i'm not thinking about anything i just have this zen moment nothing's going through my brain all this clutter from whatever's going on in the world or my personal life, it just goes away. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, I can get into that same moment cutting collages. And God, I just love that. Yeah, that's really cool. I They do look really clean and surreal. It's really it's really cool. I enjoy them. Thank you. Now, something I was thinking about on the way over here is, because um, what side of, J- of JC are we in right now? Right now we're in the south side. Okay. This area is like kind of post-industrial. Like there's a lot of abandoned, Indeed. abandoned spaces. Right. However, huh? Huh? They're, <laughs> there's uh, they're building the uh, the pharmacy school like we can yes. see it from here and yeah. something that a lot of artists and you know creative subculture offshoots deal with is urban renewal and gentrification so is yes. that something that like are you worried um yeah this building was always or not was well, since I've known it because I've walked by this building a lot when I was a kid I've gone to this gas station a bunch when I was a kid and this building always fit in in that it looked old and run down because a lot of buildings around here look old and run down yeah now a lot of the buildings around here are going to get rebuilt and this building we're going to try and do the same thing with this building with spool the organization downstairs has applied to some grants and we want to fix it up a little bit but we don't want to you know we don't want it to look as modern as it can we wanted to keep uh, the old facade and everything yes it's going to get gentrified like crazy the population of people that are living in like this immediate vicinity are going to be likely pushed out the apartments right across the street they you know they just started i think they i'm not sure if they have tenants in them yet but they've 
started putting the the price up on the side there and i don't think anyone locally like in this immediate vicinity would be able to afford them so people are going to absolutely get pushed out there is crime in this area there was like a last year there was a shooting right out like right out in front of this building it was between this building and that gas station my dad that lives a few blocks down was at the gas station while what happened so it's a good and bad thing like there's no way to really I don't, I don't know if there's a way to meet the happy medium of not displacing people that just can't afford housing anywhere else while also trying to you know get crime out of an area so i i hope that it well okay back to the building i hope that it doesn't affect the building and school because the our organization downstairs has done amazing things and done amazing exhibits that of multiple mediums of film of music of painting paintings you know um, performance art they've done a ton of stuff and i think it would be great to keep that in this area because there's not really anything else like that in jc i mean there's there's goodwill theater and they do a lot of like play performances blues performances things like that a lot of theater and so to keep both of those things alive i think would be very important to kind of represent what has been here for a while you know a lot mm -hmm. of the the pharmacy school it's kind of like it's, it's just obtrusive you know it yeah. doesn't look like any of the other buildings around i'm glad they're keeping the like the brick buildings the same they're mm -hmm. not knocking them down or anything oh, like okay. that they're yeah. just rebuilding them so that's gonna that's nice i honestly don't know what it's going to be like once students get get here yeah what that that's going to be like what that's going to do i can't picture foot traffic on this street maybe it will be the same amount of foot traffic but the demographic will change so yeah uh, it's weird i never thought we would be dealing with it in jc i didn't I was think thinking it was that gonna same happen. thing yeah i was like i never thought in upstate new york we would be dealing with these because it's primarily like you think of it in new york city or like yep. bigger cities yeah absolutely so i and I, I don't even have like like a resolution statement i don't for, either for yeah like i, I just, <laughs> like it's just something driving over here i was like oh my gosh what creative scene we have because it's you know it's precious little around here we it like yeah. it's got to have somewhere to cultivate mm -hmm. so it's that's an interesting thing too like a creative scenes often mostly often sprout out of impoverished areas mm -hmm. you know i don't know if that's might be because artists that tend to do unique creative things don't have a lot of money so they kind of have to they're like forced to do it in areas with lower rent or or things like that so it's going to be interesting to see if hopefully this creative vein that's going in plus with avenue diy over there as well you know hopefully these places can still exist once the full change has happened yeah and i don't know it's it's going back to that art versus commerce thing because it's indicative of what we value as a society that artists are primarily low-income persons <laughs> yeah unless it's you know in that commercial aspect of it where you're playing big pop shows yeah so i don't know we'll see going forward but what is what is your hope for independent creative culture in binghamton going forward i think it's on a great path right now there have been a lot of really positive shows. There's been a lot of very motivated people putting so much effort into creating venue spaces or artist spaces or just collaborating with each other. So I hope we can continue down the path of being accepting of everyone's different form of art because it's pretty eclectic in this area. And I think if we go down a path of focusing more on one aspect of it, then, you know, like if Goodwill, if something happens with Goodwill and that goes away, I think that would be awful. And the same thing with Spool and the same thing with Avenue DIY, like all of these things, they're not necessarily doing the same thing, but they're all very integral, you know? So I think for the future, I would hope that we can continue down the path of supporting all aspects of creativity and of art in general. Yeah. And 
you know, for you personally, I, you're an archimist, you have a studio. What have you been, what have you been working on lately? Um, so archimist right now, it, uh, we're just finishing mixing our record. We recorded that. It was actually interesting. We, we've done recordings for archimist, I think two or three times. And at one point, uh, one of the recordings, I think a lot of the, I wasn't happy with a lot of my performances. And then some of the other recordings, I wasn't happy with the actual recordings themselves. And then I was at a show in Kevin Cobra's basement, Subterranea. And while I was there, I was just, it was a great show. Everyone, all the crowd, like everyone that was at the crowd was really positive. It was a lot of positive energy. I was feeling great. Kevin asked me what was going on with Archimist. And at that point, I was like, ah, you know, we need to get these songs out. So I sent Joby a message and I was like, hey, well, how do you feel about just getting together one day at the studio? Because we both have, we had a, a very different schedules, so it's been hard to get together. So I was like, we just get together one day at the studio and just, you know, record these songs and we'll get, we'll put them out, we'll mix them. And so we came here one day and did all the fun, like the foundation tracking for it. We were happy with the performances, happy with the way it sounded. So we were like, okay, great. So we just started mixing, did a couple more um, overdubbing. And then at that point, so now, yeah, now we're actually at the point where it's, it's pretty much mixed. We're thinking about doing, having someone do some guest vocals on it. And then at that point, yeah, we're, we're just going to, we're going to release that digitally, maybe on tape. I don't know. We'll <laughs> maybe maybe on cassette yeah. i don't know we haven't yeah we'll probably release it digitally first and then see what the demand is if people would like to have a physical copy of it we'll go from there so yeah that's uh, i think joby is uh, waiting to hear if his schedule is going to become more normalized right now he's on like a schedule that shifts between second and third shift so it's hard for us to get together to practice or to even book shows because of his schedule so I think he's waiting to hear if that's going to change. And I'm hoping it does because when we, we can get back in the studio writing new songs and booking shows, that's the hope for Archimist in the future. The studio right now, I'm talking to some bands about coming in and doing some tracking, but I don't have any sessions booked right now. I just finished mixing the Colt Sweats record. So that's going to go out on cassette pretty soon. And then I'm finishing up like a doom metal project called Decrement. And then that's going to, that'll probably be out, you know, a few months or so. Nice. And then for all of these different exploits you have going on, how can people keep up and check out what you're doing? I have a Facebook page for Abandoned Studios. And then um, I mainly use my personal Facebook page for my collage art. And then my Instagram at this point is all just my collage art. <laughs> it's just that's pretty much what I use Instagram for. And that my Instagram name is at uh, collage cuts. So you can follow me there. And my uh, Facebook is just my name, Michael J. Micha. Make sure you check out the full write-up of my visit to Abandoned Studios at our blog at truefolktv.com slash blog. You'll find extended show notes, pictures, and all the links you need to keep up with Michael and his various projects. Thank you for listening, and thanks again to Michael for taking the time to sit down with me and show me his studio, and I'll see you next time on the True Folk Podcast.